0: On today's episode, I caught up with Nick Fulton from the University of North Carolina Rams Club, the fundraising arm that supports Carolina Athletics. Nick and his team have ambitious goals to continue to grow membership and revenue while maintaining industry-leading retention rates. Nick shares some of the innovative tactics the Rams Club is employing to accelerate relationship building with their next wave of prospective major gift donors. Here we go, Tar Heels. Here we go. Welcome to today's episode of the Rays podcast. I am thrilled to be hosting a conversation with Nick Fulton with the UNC Rams Club and Nick will tell you a little bit about exactly what the Rams Club is and how it fits at the University of North Carolina. Nick has one of the most unique interesting job titles in the sector which we are definitely going to dive into. Nick is the Director of Growth and Innovation at the UNC Rams Club. Welcome Nick.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here.
0: We love starting these conversations to set a little bit of context uh, and just ask you, who are you? Where are you from? When did you first hear the word advancement?
1: (laughs) So uh, I grew up in Minnesota and um, went to school at the University of Wisconsin where I uh, was a swimming student athlete. And about my third year in school there, I kind of made a determination that really I wanted to stay in sports and, and figure out a way that I could try and give back to make sure that people who are similar to myself and wanted to try and continue their, um, their sport in college would have an opportunity to do so. Didn't have any idea what that meant and certainly had not heard the word advancement at that point. Um, so through some good mentorship, um, was able to get the advice to go to grad school and went to grad school, came to grad school at uh, the University of North Carolina and um, was in my second, well, in preparation for the second year, gearing up for an internship, um, interviewed with a couple of different areas. And that was the first time that I really heard about the Rams Club. Still hadn't heard about advancement yet. Didn't know what that meant. Um, you know, really thought it was um going out to just ask for, ask for money. As as an intern, I had no idea what, uh, you know, what I was really getting myself into, um, but knew that I could see myself as giving back and see myself as um, the time that I spent working with the Rams club would accomplish my goal of providing the uh, opportunities to people who, people like myself who wanted to continue with their collegiate sport career uh, when they graduated from high school. So, Went with, um, went with the internship with the Rams club and then um, about, a, about a year in was offered a position in the annual fund. Still hadn't really heard about advancement yet at this point. Um, and you know, really what that meant was we were a membership organization. So um, we work with thousands of Carolina supporters and, um, and they join the Rams club and they get perks and they, um, as a part of their membership, their membership dues are all going towards supporting Carolina student athletes. Um, and, uh, probably my, in my first year full time with the Rams club, that's when I really started to understand what the whole annual fund process looked like, because I had an opportunity to work with some people across campus. Um, and so it was really interesting that, you know, all, all up until that point really hadn't heard the word advancement, um, until I'd really been in the job for a year. And then here I am nine years later.
0: Had you heard it before this podcast started today? Just
1: to- <laughs> I had heard it before this podcast started, yeah.
0: Somewhere in between uh, now yeah. and then. So uh, great setup. We will come back to um, the Rams Club and, and the specifics around your work there, your, your career path. But I do want to go back in time a little bit uh, to just better double-click on your on your student-athlete experience, what that was like, what you really think back on. And, and my understanding is, you were a member of, uh, I believe it's called the Student-Athlete Advisory Committee or Council, uh, which is an organization that was uh, really taking hold uh, at uh, Brown, my alma mater, when I was on the football team. I didn't personally have the opportunity to get involved, but I'd love to kind of get your take on that experience and maybe how that helped inspire you uh, to, to continue um, staying at the intersection of sports and philanthropy.
1: Yeah, so that really is what changed my third year in college. Uh, and getting involved with the Student-Athlete Advisory Committee, um, which abbreviated, abbreviates to SAAC or SAC, um, you know, getting involved both on campus, but then also at the conference and the national level, is really what opened my eyes up to um, how, uh, how, how much bigger this whole enterprise was and um, how many people it really impacted on a, in a positive way. And so really it was the experiences that I had getting to interact with the administrators and getting to interact with the NCA staff um, and just to hear kind of the issues that were, you know, at the forefront then, which crazily enough are pretty much the same issues that are at the forefront today. Um, but hearing about all of those issues is really kind of what uh, inspired me to go down this path and make sure that um, it motivated me to, to continue to give back and be a part of this industry.
0: Love it. And so uh, setting the context for the Rams club, first of all, I thought you were the UNC Tar Heels. So I don't <laughs> Why why you have a Rams club. Um, but then second, just help our listeners understand the context that you are operating in, which is quite decentralized obviously a huge source of brand affinity for North Carolina, um, which creates opportunities and complexity. Uh, And and so if you could just give a little bit of the overview of the Rams club, that'd be great.
1: Sure. So our, our mission at the Rams club is supporting Carolina student, um, providing opportunities to Carolina student athletes. And so we, we um, work hand in hand with athletics but we also work hand-in-hand with university development. So we are in uh, in the middle of, a, um, of a, over a $4 billion camp- university campaign. Um, and of that, the Rams Club uh, has the third largest goal at $500 million. So we, we work really, really closely with university development, but we are completely decentralized. So we have a different um, we have a different donor database. We um, also need to work really closely with athletics and their ticketing database and um, uh, and all of the constituents within uh, that are attending games that aren't necessarily Rams Club members. So we've got a unique uh, a unique setup um, compared to other annual funds that I think are uh, different campuses. But at the same time, we are we are doing a lot of the same things. So we are working with people who real, a strong connection to, um, to Carolina athletics and talking with them about how they can make an impact and talking about how they can give back and support Carolina student athletes. Um, but they, uh, so we have 15,000, we've had 15,000 members a couple, uh, two years ago. Um, and really our main goal or my main goal of, uh, of my team is to grow our membership to 22,000 by 2022, which is the end of the campaign.
0: So 22 by 22, uh, 22, by 22. Got a range of price points for memberships, if you will.
1: Yeah. So our memberships start at $25 if you're a student, $50 if you're a recent graduate um, and then hundred dollars is kind of our entry point for, uh, for the general Carolina fan or supporter. Uh, and then all the way up to 25,000. And so with those different, uh, with those different tiers, there are different benefits that are associated with those. Um, and I think you can kind of associate those with the different types of societies that that our campus has so leadership annual giving society kind of really kind of works out to our $1,200 big ram membership level Um, so that's kind of a a breaking point for us Um, and then you know some of our top our top levels are really where we're able to um, you know where we're really really able to provide some pretty neat experiences and pretty neat access but we're also working to try and you know do more of that stuff um, for all of our members
0: what I love about the athletics fundraising realm and and specifically what i 've heard about your organization is I feel like sometimes in a traditional annual fund where we're where we 're seeking generally unrestricted use funds, a lot of the society or or giving price points if you will end up being potentially somewhat arbitrary and oftentimes we try to frame impact based on a dollar amount but but the reality is there's not clear benefits to the donor other than whatever perceived impact there may be and i think one of the nuances in your world is that you really have pricing and packaging and clear benefits that not only speak to the general philanthropic uh impact but also offer great experiences and I, I, I feel like that's something that traditional annual funds are aspiring to do but it, but it seems like it's a struggle I'm, I'm curious when you when you think about the benefits and or challenges that, that that prevents because on the flip side on one hand you can create really neat experiences that traditional annual funds maybe can't but on the other hand you then have to fulfill Those need experiences which traditional annual funds don't necessarily have to do. So I'd imagine kind of the stewardship and delivery piece is much more hands-on or high-touch than you might find in a traditional annual fund. So curious to get your take on that. If if am I kind of understanding it correctly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got a team. uh, We've got a member services team that that has over ten people on it, Um, and so. That's everything you
0: call stewardship, maybe in another department.
1: Stewardship is a part of that team, but also events um, and hospitality and uh, benefit. um, I mean, really it's ticketing and parking um, and and working with our donors on a daily basis there. And then also people who are on the phones every day, answering incoming calls or uh, incoming questions from uh, either current members or prospective members. So yeah, that, that benefit fulfillment is a huge thing um, that we have to tackle and have to do it well in order to retain uh, retain our members at a high rate.
0: And so, I mean, I don't know if you want to do a little bit of a role play here, but let's say that, that I'm wearing my Carolina blue today, so I feel like I'm, I'm ready uh, to, to be a prospective member. When you think about that kind of price discovery or how you or your colleagues can have a conversation with someone to understand let's say between that $1,000 and $25,000 level, how far am I willing to stretch? You know, How excited am I about the different packages? Um, is it basically like a, a menu or, or on, a, on a Kickstarter campaign where you see, hey, at you know, the $100 level you get this and at the you know, $1,000 level you get the backstage pass to the grand opening of you know the new restaurant that you're funding, how do you approach Pricing and and packaging in your pitch to donors, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny you ask that because we literally had this same conversation in uh, in the office earlier this week um, around growing our membership. So as we're going out to talk to people who have never heard of the Rams Club but love Carolina athletics or wearing their you know wearing their Carolina blue polo around in the airport what is our you know, what is our elevator speech, but that's probably be quicker than that. Um our elevator speech about how why they should even um why they should go check out RamsClub.com or why they should learn more about the Rams Club. Um and where where we really came out was there's there is absolutely something that we can say to th- that person that we know nothing about, um, which is, hey, you love Carolina Athletics, be a part of the team that is supporting Carolina athletics. Help help Carolina athletics win. Um, you know, that kind of boil, that kind of bubble to the surface of the generic, not generic, but the, the un- unified message that we could say to anybody, but really what was more important, what was more interesting about that, and I think this is applicable outside of athletics is, gosh, it would be a lot more powerful if we could actually know something more about that person so that we could actually talk to them more specifically about, you know, something that would be important to them. Do you have kids? Do you live... Within 50 miles, like, is it realistic for you to come back to a game? Have you, you know, have you ever been to Chapel Hill? Um, You know, do you know somebody who goes, all of these questions that we've got about people really shape the message and would shape my pitch to you of why, um, why you should join the Rams club, why you should donate to the Rams club. Um, So that, that was really kind of the more interesting thing that came out of that discussion was we really, we can give a pitch, but it's so much more powerful if it's personalized and that's nothing. That's not a revolutionary statement, but it really kind of comes to the forefront when you try to do that role play and try to convince somebody to, to, um, to join.
0: All right. So I live in Boston. I, (laughs) I, I love Carolina. I love football. I like basketball. I've never been to Chapel Hill. I've never been to a game. And i want to help you win what what are the the packages that would be most well suited for somebody like me
1: yeah so i would say um, first of all just joining the rams club is helping be a part of that team Um, so we've got membership levels that start at 100 dollars and go up from there Um, but i would love for you to come down to chapel hill and come see a football game bring the whole family we've got a lot of great family activities uh, within Chapel Hill on the day of the game. And as a Rams Club member, you're going to get access to tickets before the general public does. Um, but more importantly than that, you're also supporting all the, the student athletes on the field who are competing each and every week, when, whether you're in Chapel Hill or you're watching it on TV. Um, and so you can feel that connection through the different information that you're going to start getting as a Rams Club member. Um, and you know, it is a great way to stay connected to Carolina and hopefully a way to get you motivated to come down and visit uh visit chapel hill for a game or two and hopefully maybe you can find one of those weekends where there's an overlap of football and basketball and we'll get you get you and the family down for both are you in
0: i'm going to check the calendar that
1: sounds pretty good (laughs) Um,
0: very cool so uh look i i do think it's it so so when you think about that that advantage that you have where you have such strong affinity a great brand but also packages and member services that can fulfill those experiences if i did invest at a certain level and bring my family down um contrast that to a typical annual fund where the the gold circle is five hundred dollars and the president circle is five thousand and the chancellor society is fifty thousand do you feel like there's an inherent advantage that you have, or do you think that the same donor services concept can be, or is maybe being applied in annual funds that you're familiar with?
1: I think it is being applied at some annual funds that, um, that I've heard of. Um, and I think that, and I also think that there are some absolute inherent advantages from an athletic standpoint, you know, we're on TV, um, Fortunate, we are so fortunate at Carolina to have the um to have the presence that we do uh, nationally. and we've got fans who never have come to Chapel Hill and never will come to Chapel Hill, but they will change their Wednesday nights because there's a basketball game on. And so it, you know that is an absolute inherent advantage. What's really interesting is that we are finding ourselves now as we get to a point where we're trying to grow our membership. Um, you know, if we, if we just wanted to focus on ticket benefits as a way to grow our membership, we've got a ceiling. There are, there are X number of seats in the basketball stadium and there are X number of seats in the football stadium. And so where we're trying to probably have to think more, we're having to think more creatively and probably quite honestly, think more like a like a typical university annual fund to get all of those other folks who aren't where tickets isn't the number one driver for them and get them engaged. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the other thing I'd say is I think there's a way to think creatively about offering experiences, access, information. Um, and I think that all of us who work on universities and are fortunate to be living in the place that people think is really cool and they have great memories about, um, we take a lot of things for granted. And so... Figuring out what it is for uh, for your campus or for your school or for your organization that is cool um, sometimes takes talking to other people outside of your staff. Um, so one of the probably one of the most rewarding things that we've done uh, in the last two years or so is we we um, had a basically like a two month period where we were focusing on member discovery, and so we we did a really uh, robust survey. Um, did a number of different focus groups and phone calls with members be um, I think it 's a good check to make sure that one you 're meeting the needs and expectations of the people that you 're working with um, but also making sure to involve people who you 're not you know non donors to tr- trying to figure out if you 're trying to get new donors you should probably talk to some people who aren 't donors to figure out what they what they want why isn 't Brent coming down from Boston? What is that barrier? Is it, you know, you think you live too far, you think you had to go to school here, you think it cost $10,000, whatever those barriers are, um, are going to come, come up in those conversations as you, t- as you talk to people about it.
0: And I think it's interesting, and maybe a good segue, as you think about historically an organization like yours that, that perhaps could lean on that physical experience, the, the in-game experience as being a core um, pillar um, uh, from a benefits perspective But as digital platforms have matured over the last decade, you can be a Carolina fan anywhere in the world and be very connected to what's going on across multiple mediums. I mean, just on a personal level, uh, I was in uh, Iowa last uh, the weekend before last, and uh, even the Brown football team on the Ivy League, which is not televised the way that you all are, I was watching on ESPN uh, plus on my phone. I was in Vermont last weekend watching Brown play the university of Rhode Island on ESPN plus on my phone. And even since I graduated, like that went from being impossible to possible with a pretty bad experience to like a really legit, awesome mobile uh, viewing experience wherever I am. And in, in a certain sense, it almost, um, reduces the need to even go to the in-game experience and, and I know that you uh, have a an amazing um, fan experience and, and and connectivity on that front but I, but I, I'd be curious to get your take um, when you think about the growth of, of digital your Uh, Your job title is director of growth and innovation. There's no uh, sort of faster uh, growing category than digital. And and obviously we've collaborated a lot on that front, but just this idea of being able to leverage uh, the fan base globally, connect with them globally, understand who's engaging, start to triangulate that with your traditional donor database and or ticketing insights to be able to, um, potentially identify segments of people who could be excellent members who historically might've been overlooked because so much of it was about being close to Chapel Hill.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, the, um, so I think one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, or kind of you alluded to is, are we at risk of, um, are we at risk of attend of sporting attendance, Um, going down because of these great digital experiences that we've got. And I think that's real. And that goes back to what um, kind of knowing what is important to your fans. And so talking to them about um, what, what is it that would get you to a game or why is it that you stopped attending games? Is it too expensive? Did the parking take too long? Did the line, the concession lines take too long? Um, All of that said, I think that at some point watching a game, with no one in the stands uh, is not as fun as watching a game with a ton of people in the stands. So there's going to be this weird – I, I kind of think that there's going to be this, um, this time where um, we're going to need to figure out how to make sure – everyone's going to need to figure out that they are doing everything they can to keep fans there because ESPN is going to want them to do that. And, um, you know, Fox sports is going to want I mean, everybody's going to want to make sure that there are fans in the stadium because that's, those are the games that people like to watch. And um, those are more fun games to watch. But I think that there are probably, there are more benefits of the digital, the growth in the digital space than, um, uh, than disadvantages, because you have so many more opportunities if you can do it right. And doing it right is really difficult. And we certainly have a long way to go. But if you can do it right, there's so many more different ways that you can engage with your fans and engage where they want to be engaged with. So um, you know I you know watching on ESPN, um, I don't have cable at home. So you know the knowing that I watch exclusively on um, on basically on uh, a mobile device that's then streamed to my uh, Streamed to my TV, that's a totally different experience and offers totally different opportunities for engagement than the traditional over the air, you know, watching on NBC or ABC. Um, and it goes, you know, so many more different layers than that, whether it's texting, whether it's uh, email, whether it's using an app um, to engage with folks. Um, but it, the advantages of digital, uh, of the digital explosion, and uh, are so so far outweigh the disadvantages that I think it's a really exciting place for us to spend a lot of time in.
0: So, as you think about those trends, and you think about the twenty-two thousand member goal by twenty twenty-two, what are the metrics that you are focused on, and how has that evolved in recent years? Um, what is your team thinking about? What are you, what are you really pushing people towards that add up to that 22,000 by 22?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our main, um, our main metric uh, has been for the last three years, total number of members. Um, And so what the metrics that have followed uh, or the important metrics that have kind of built up to that have ended up being retention because the best way we can grow our membership is retain the members that we have. Um, and probably the most interesting one that didn't start out as a metric, um, and we're still kind of refining it is total number of prospects. Um, because really ultimately if we're trying to grow our membership amongst prospects, you know, makes sense. when you think about it, if you're trying to grow your membership amongst prospects, you should have as big of a prospect pool as possible. So real quick story or example, um, we used to, uh, this is three years ago, we would have a table on the concourse for every football and basketball game. And we would staff it, and we would talk to people about the Rams Club. And a lot of times it would be a great thing for us to interact with Rams Club members. And um, and then we would, you know, we would probably get one or two people to sign up potentially. Um, so not a great return on, um, from a total membership growth standpoint. So what we did three, two years, two and a half years ago was we, took a step back, looked at our overall goal and tried to figure out, all right, how can we better use that opportunity? And so we've shifted our focus to let's acquire as much as many prospects as we can at that table. So now instead of asking people to join where we can absolutely still have those conversations, um, we're asking them to, to enter their name in for a give uh, a giveaway item. And so last year during football season, we got just shy of 2000 new prospect names Um, during basketball season we had another thousand another fifteen hundred prospect names so um, there are a lot of uh, you know it's constantly being refined of how we can do that better but that gives us more uh, a better metric of something where we took uh, or a better focus on something where previously we thought we were trying to grow membership with that table but really that wasn't the right opportunity I mean somebody that's probably not the right time to talk with somebody about joining the Rams club but it might be the right time to start a relationship with that person and start engaging that person. Um, and so now what we're focusing on is how do we build out that prospective member journey, so that when we have that information, we're giving them as good of an experience and we can learn as much information about them, see, find um, find ways for them to raise their hand, and then talk to them about joining the RANS Club. Um, so look on
0: if at a case conference when you walked around to meet vendors, we all were basically giving you the pitch and then saying, do you want to buy right now? Right, exactly. Aggressive to go for the close, bottom of funnel, if you will, activities, so really converted instead into the equivalent of would you be willing to share your business card or would you be open to scheduling a follow-up discussion?
1: Yep, the exact same.
0: And so how would you define the prospect, you know, you, you've got a, a, let's just talk about maybe the the giving funnel for UNC Rams, if you will, when you think about number of total constituents, number of qualified prospects, if you will, however you define that, and then number of of members, um, What what does that kind of look like today? And then I'd love to just get your quick take on the importance of retention, because I think you've really made that a first class metric that without doing so you have no chance realistically to achieve the kind of growth goals that you uh, are pursuing. So let's just talk about total universe prospect pool members and then the uh, importance of retention and achieving a goal.
1: Yeah. I mean, so the universe, um, the universe is ever expanding, right? So, I mean, yeah. it is always when um, I, I'd never want to put a, a limit on this is our universe you know people who went to chapel hill that's not our universe people who live in north carolina that's not our universe people who like us on facebook that's not even our universe and so i, I like thinking as big as big picture as possible when it comes to the universe and then it's finding Probably, those let's just be it like at least a seven figure
0: universe
1: totally yeah maybe, uh, yeah seven maybe. figure plus i don't know yeah, yeah. seven figure plus universe um, and so where we, are, um, where we need to focus our energy is on finding places where we can engage with that universe. So that is Facebook. That is people who come to games. That is people who live in North Carolina. Um, but it, it's also people who, um, who are former student athletes. It's also people who, uh, who are new to the, who just moved to North Carolina and are looking for a team. Um, and so figuring out how we can engage. So I guess the second layer or the second, you know, one rung down on the funnel is also continuing to grow. Um, but that's a, You know, that is a, that's a six figure, um, uh, that's a six figure, uh, group as well, which is really daunting. So then you've got a big total group. team
0: size especially <laughs> around the, the membership slash annual fund is, is what is three. Great. So, okay. I mean, when you, when you think about that, like, Uh, there are advancement shops who have a million constituents who have 300 employees. Sure. You have a million constituents and three employees really focused on, on this specific goal. So it is, it's gotta be really important on one hand to, to focus on uh, a broad universe, but at the same time, narrow that down as much as you can, because there's only so many hours in the day for three people to uh, renew uh upgrade and acquire members
1: yeah and and this ties really nicely into your question about retention in that there are only three people on the growth and innovation team but our entire staff um has the membership goal as one of their goal one of our goals one of our organizational goals that we uh, need to achieve by the end of the campaign so that it is absolutely a shared goal across our entire staff especially with our member services staff um, when it comes to retention. And so providing those, the, the benefit execution, the putting on great events, putting on, um, you know, having great customer service when somebody calls in, finding new and innovative um, benefits is something that we we work with them really closely on, on, on figuring out different things that we can offer. Um, so it is a shared goal, but, you know, that is something that uh, we, we absolutely need to get to the point where we know a that somebody has raised their hands before we should spend any more time, resources, money, whatever it is, on then bringing them further down the funnel. So that might be deploying a Facebook ad. That might be putting a more in-depth email communication together. It might be sending a text message to them. Um, but before we do that, it's we want to, we hopefully have learned something about them along the way that we can guide our uh, that can help shape our communication to them
0: in a certain sense you have too many prospects and you know relative to team size relative to hours in the day and I want to just dive in to some of the things that you're doing to address that around a more uh, strategic prospecting system we've talked a lot about this I think it 's really a new approach for this sector. There are uh, some great examples in the commercial sales and marketing world i'd love you just to help our listeners understand, given that massive universe, given even as you narrow it to be um, folks who are engaged it 's still such a large um, it 's such a large universe that you have felt compelled to try to approach more aggressive high-volume, yet very personalized one-to-one qualification to ensure that frontline gift officers in particular are maximizing their efficiency and, and, and efficacy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so um, this ties into the membership goal as well, because the membership goal of growing membership without a revenue component, <clears throat> which was deliberate, uh, only works if we're able to engage with those folks and communicate how they can make an impact at a higher level further on down the line. But the goal is to get them engaged and be able to have those conversations and be able to communicate that and display that. Um, so I, what um, what you're talking about with, our, with the prospecting side is as they move up the chain, how do we identify those people as they are raising their hand higher and higher um, and, and engage with them in a more kind of targeted or deliberate way? Uh, and so one thing that, uh, one thing that one of our major gift, one of the people on our major gift staff and one of the people on our campaign staff have kind of implemented over the last five months is this detailed, uh, and well-established process for reaching out to people who meet a certain criteria in a, and then find themselves in a prospect pool. So we had a group of people who are giving, um, at a pretty high annual level and they've done so. For multiple years and we have not had anybody uh, assigned to that so they weren't in anybody's portfolio <clears throat> and so the this seems like a great group of prospects for major gift officers
0: kind of this, and, this missing middle that we talk about yeah where they're, they're, they're frankly lobbing in pretty significant gifts basically in response to direct marketing maybe there's some interaction with member services maybe not and if they're willing to support at that level without human engagement, what might they be able to do if they could better understand the next level philanthropic opportunity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, Jip Richards on our staff is is the one who is really implementing this uh, on a day-to-day basis. But essentially it, it is finding, so starting with this group of people uh, and then, he has uh, created some uh, guidelines of how am I going to reach out to these people and what am I going to talk with these prospects about when I have a chance to talk with them so that I can determine their capacity, their inclination, and can figure out what, um, how we can best engage with them going forward. And so he has done that over the last four months or so. Um, and, and he put a lot of.
0: He's doing that. Uh- Remotely, he's not doing that in a field based uh, traditional visit format, but rather uh, pulling up the qualification that often is reserved for the first field visit into a more uh, digital video phone interaction
1: exactly yeah and and so that that first interaction happens over the phone or email, and some of them have moved on to visits. Um because he does have a portfolio that he manages as well. but yeah it, that it has um, been a great way for us to um, both uh, find identify some prospects who are, are really great and we need to engage with on a on a more regular on a higher uh, on a higher level and on a more regular basis. but also it has shown um, we've had some good conversations with folks where it just is pretty clear that they are um, they're not major giving prospects, and that's okay. We w- we want to thank them for everything they've done to support the Rams Club and, and Carolina student-athletes, but um, to know that they are somebody who really kind of falls out of the prospect pool is okay for us to... Um, is okay for our team so that we can really work on the um, the folks who are really excited about engaging and want to learn more and want to um, find out how they can make an impact on uh, on the lives of our student-athletes. So, this whole detailed process, I think that the best thing that we did was we spent a pretty good amount of time putting together a, a really outline, a, a detailed plan so that we could refer back to it. So we've met we've met about monthly over the last four months, and we can check back to what our goals and objectives were, how each step of the process is working, because we're, we were starting, we didn't have this process in place beforehand. So I think it, as and we think that it can be really valuable. Um, so we want to make sure to vet it out pretty well before we continue to grow it within the organization. Um, and the early results are, are really great. I mean, about 10% of the outreach has been to people, uh, 10% of the people he has reached out to have been identified as people who we should have in a portfolio. And, um, you know, six figures worth of, of gifts from folks who are, who weren't, um, engaged on a really, uh, really high level beforehand uh, before chip was reaching out to him. So he, it's been, he's done a great job with kind of implementing the process and we think it has a long way and a long way to grow within the organization.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think it's your point about this is a qualification engine to support um, optimizing frontline portfolios and or for chip to run with on his own, but just as important, it is a disqualification engine, not that we're, we're going to, stop caring about certain supporters but we just have to be really focused on prioritizing our limited time to map against the absolute next best prospects and so when you think about how many field visits that take weeks to set up that take uh, you know rescheduling just to get out there and find out this person is probably not a major gift prospect by pulling up so much of that activity into a more inside sales-like um, uh, approach, uh, it's it's something that we're obviously excited about and, and happy to continue to learn more about. But I got to ask you, where'd you come up with this idea in the first place?
1: <laughs> hey, I was actually going to do this unprompted. I was going to say, you know, to give credit where credit's due, um, last year at, at the Evertrue Raise Conference. What uh, is the so... Evertrue Raise Conference? <laughs> It is a it is a great opportunity to get together with uh, thought leaders from throughout the industry and uh, hear about some really cool things that people are doing on campuses across the country. Um, but I think probably the coolest thing about EverTrue is a Raise Conference, and why I've um, continued to to go back is because you get to hear from people who are doing this in the business world, and there are so many applications of what we all do on a daily basis that um, that are happening in the business world. But take a little bit of energy to think about differently and think about within that business context. So that's that's really what I've I've loved about the Evertrue Raise conferences is, uh, is hearing from those business leaders about what they're doing.
0: About five minutes ago, I saw a Slack come through that I think indicates that we actually just announced Raise 2020. All right, and. I am going to get the exact dates to make sure that I don't misspeak. But uh, yeah, we, uh, we just announced Raise 2020 in late July in Boston, and we will include a link uh, in the show notes. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, look, our idea with raise was we can learn a lot from the for-profit software world. We can learn a lot from the for-profit marketing and sales world and we can apply many of those themes, not everything, but many to this sector. And one of the roles that we've covered uh, extensively is this idea of a business development rep that basically is a, a meeting center for sales representatives. And I'm sure many of you on uh, who are listening have received that kind of uh, out- outreach before. And I think unlike uh, many sales and marketing organizations where they don't have uh, to start any brand affinity or any connectivity with their prospect pool, Every university has a huge head start given that in many cases, these people uh, who, who, who are your prospects lived on your campus for four years, have been to games, are super connected to the brand. And so um, in a certain sense, it feels like there could be few better sectors than this one to be able to test this kind of high volume outbound outreach. Um, but in the meantime, for-profit sales and marketing companies are doing it with no pre-existing brand. Colleges weren't doing it. Rams Club is testing it. There's immediate ROI emerging, uh, and, and I'm really excited to see where it could go. Um, where it could go from here. I guess my question for you is: because uh, creating new job titles is tricky, uh, getting new FTEs added to org charts can be complicated. This is working really well. What does it mean for? maybe not just the Rams Club org chart in 2020 or 2021 or 2022, but the sector more broadly. Are we missing an entire unit division part of the funnel, if you will, in the typical advancement org chart?
1: I mean, I think that that will, um, that may come out um, as, as more and more people start to test out and pilot some programs like this. Um, and it can be, it doesn't have to be for major gift donors either. Um, it can be for uh, some leadership annual giving uh, prospects or it can be for first time engagement um, prospects and um, there's I think there's absolutely an opportunity to utilize um, to utilize students on campus and you know I realize that this sounds a lot like the telethon or the telefund um but it is a different mentality and a different way of approaching it where you're really trying to engage with somebody and um you're you know going back to your example which i loved at the case conference where you're not trying to close a gift um you're not trying to close a gift on the phone that day you're really trying to reach out learn about somebody what what's really important to somebody um and why they have been engaged or or what stopped them from being engaged and um, and really the start of a relationship with uh, with the the person as opposed to trying to close a specific gift um, that that at that moment
0: well, and look, I think the reality is somebody like chip uh, can be member centric, can be centric. Yeah. let's be honest the The traditional telefund is not donor centric. It is focused on a transactional ask. It is the equivalent of trying to ask you to buy something at my booth at the case conference. I haven't most of the time earned the right to make that ask yet. And I think that chip, and I think especially given the investment that you've made in member services, that's what I love about the Rams club. You are, you are trying to achieve really ambitious goals, but you're trying to do it through personalization and by earning it, as opposed to uh, just hammering on a volume and personalized approach that I think, uh, increasingly is just, just not working. So very exciting to hear about this model. We'll definitely continue to check in with you and try to um, provide updates on our blog because I think that there's um, tremendous um, applications of this across the giving pyramid uh, to ensure that we're able to reach more people on a one-to-one, qualify people more quickly, route them to the best donor experience possible based on their capacity and interest, and equally important, disqualified people who uh, are not uh, the right candidates for our limited one-to-one follow-up. So um, uh, good stuff there. I, I guess just on the on the RAISE uh, conference and, and peer groups, uh, you were recognized as an inaugural winner in the Evertrue 40 Under 40, which was a lot of fun. And it was very neat to have so many of you and your fellow uh, honorees at the RAISE conference. What was it like getting to know that group? And when you think about peers in the sector who you really respect or who you've learned from uh, or mentors for that matter, who are some of the people that come to mind?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, first of all, it was really, um, I was humbling and it was an honor to be recognized as part of that. Um, I thought it was really cool how y'all did that. And I think it, it was really neat to be able to, connect all of um, that group together uh, at the conference and get to hear about the really cool things that people are doing and the r- different ways that people are thinking about this, um, our overall business problem um, because everybody has different ways of thinking about it, but really ultimately we've got the same business problem of how do we engage, continue to keep, uh, how do we engage with new people and how do we continue to engage with the people that are already engaging with us? And, um, so anyways, that was, it was really, really neat to be a part of that. Um, yeah, I think as far as, um, as far as mentors within, um, development, I've started to, uh, you know, I've fortunate to work with a lot of people on our staff who, uh, are really excited about. Trying to do new things, um, and so that has been a really great group to to work with as we are trying to push the envelope a little bit. Um, you know, uh, I love to uh, I love to hear about what uh, what other people in the athletics industry do. You know, other places in athletics are doing really well. Clemson does, I think, a really really good job of engaging with folks. Um, you know, I think that um, you know there are. Ole Miss, I think, does a pretty good job of communication uh, with their communication to to members. Um, I think that the, you know University of Minnesota does a really good job with some creative experience and access uh, pieces. That so there are bits and pieces that are really really cool throughout the country, um, and I think that that is something we'll continue to find more and more of as as you talked about as we see more utilization of that digital space.
0: That's great, and and so is. There a um, informal or formal way that you're getting to know your peers at some of those institutions you, you mentioned, or are there, you know, athletics fundraising conferences, for example, that people should be aware of if if they're interested in potentially following your career path?
1: Yeah, there. So there's the the NACTA conference, uh, which is I think in Vegas this summer. Uh, that is pretty well known and and, uh, there's a development track for that, that I would, I would certainly recommend from a networking standpoint. Um, You know, I actually joined a couple of those organizations just to kind of see what they're doing and, um, and just kind of see what that life cycle was like as a donor. Uh, You're
0: you're a mystery shopper for (laughs) and Wisconsin, Is that fair?
1: I guess I'm not a mystery anymore, but yeah, I think (laughs) that has been a really cool way to kind of see what, other folks are doing um for, and and not uh and get a real world experience um from it so that, that's been pretty neat but yeah i would say there are a ton of good conferences i would certainly recommend going to EverTrue um to the raise conference that's a great great one even if you are not within the uh even if even if you uh, are wondering how it could be applicable i promise that you'll find something that you can take away from from one of the business leaders who's going to talk there uh, that, that you'll be able to bring back to, uh, to, to your uh, organization.
0: July 30th and 31st in <laughs> um, All right, cool, Nick. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'd like to start to wrap it up, but when you think about the next few years, uh, Director of Growth and Innovation, on one hand, balancing, you know, trying to learn more cutting-edge practices, technologies, but apply it to a really traditional context, And in a way that really concretely moves you forward around your goals, what do you think five years from now, the advancement sector looks like? Uh, What are the big changes that you anticipate or that you're aspiring to be able to implement uh, in pursuit of the 22 by 22 objective?
1: So I can tell you what it's going to mean for us or what's already started to mean for us is um, we have engaged with a a marketing firm to get their advice on strategy development. And so uh, that is going to shift our focus from doing a really good job of communicating to our membership. Um, it's actually going to grow our focus to not just communicating really well to our membership, but also marketing to people who aren't members. Um, right now, if you are a member, you're getting a lot of communication from us and it's really good. Uh, but if you are not a member, we're not talking to you. Um, and so there's going to be, I think a, a, continued growth of, um, marketing and an emphasis on, uh, marketing and, uh, in, you know, across multiple different channels. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, a couple of great examples I heard at the race conference were digital development officers, where they're really listening to what people are saying, but then they're also able to push out communication based on what they're listening, based on what they're hearing, but also based on the messages they want people to get. Um, so I think that's going to be a much bigger focus. And then I think it's, all right, great. We've got more people engaged. How do we talk with those people who are more engaged? So that's where it comes back to the um, those you know those development officers that are potentially more internal and have in that internal sales uh, mentality, where they're reaching out to a lot of people to gauge interest, to gauge engagement, to gauge capacity, to gauge uh, inclination, and figure out where where the match is within the organization, uh, and continue to find better ways to uh illustrate the ways that they can make an impact and um, and help help us accomplish our goal
0: love it um are you hiring should somebody who's listening check out the rams club jobs page right now what's the current uh uh opening if any or what do you anticipate having uh, openings emerge uh, in the coming months
1: so we don't have any openings right now. Um, but I would certainly, um, I'm happy to talk with anybody who has, um, any type of interest in, uh, in the athletics development world, um, or just like to hear more on it. We, um, we are very we're very, very fortunate that we've got a really long tenured staff. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, unfortunately there aren't any positions open, but, they will be posted on RamsClub.com uh, whenever, uh, whenever they are, so feel free to check back.
0: Good stuff. Nick, it has been a pleasure getting to know you better. Uh, we love having the opportunity to brainstorm new ideas with you, but always in a way that hopefully can make uh, a really clear impact uh, today. Uh, and so thank you for that partnership. Uh, look forward to seeing you at future RAISE conferences. Uh, and with that, we're going to sign off with Nick Fulton, the Director of Growth and Innovations at the UNC Rams Club. Thank you.
1: Thanks Brent, really appreciate the time.